Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. Peace. Peace. Prosperity. 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 Anybody in here need prosperity? In the name of Jesus. We declare it. We declare it. We declare it. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. I just uh, I want to thank Mikey, what you've done with our worship. I'm just so thankful. Aren't you thankful? Yeah, just give just if you would a round of applause. I want to point out a special guest that we have in the house today. Mikey's grandmother's here. Say hello to the people if you would. Say hello to the saints. Now, I, I walked to the back of the sanctuary, uh, to the worship center here while during worship, and I heard her singing, and Cecia, watch out. That's all I'm trying to say. Watch out. Watch out. I was like, oh, that sounds... I'll be in worship, and I'll hear good singing. I'll be like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? How's that? Well, all right. I have tried to clean my glasses for the better part of, I don't know, an hour, and I'm just... just seeing through a fog I'm sorry I'm sorry I may need I mean I may need the my, my anointed one if you could turn me down just I mean just 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 a hair and so what I'm gonna do at this point since I can't see anything I'm gonna talk and it's gonna look like I'm preaching but I'm really wasting time until I can see you we are finishing up this week our message series the life the life and this is the message series that we have been in the life. Here comes the life. There it is. And this is the mess series we've been in since the resurrection, since we celebrated the resurrection, since we uh, since Easter Sunday, and uh, and uh, we are living. We are we are we are talking about how do we live post resurrection? Once we have experienced resurrection life, we've been baptized in the waters, we died with Him, rose again. How many of you know life's supposed to look different after that? Amen. Life is supposed to look different. And not just what I get from God, but my entire existence is different post-baptism. How I have decided to live my life is different. If you're, if you're like me, if you're a guy, you watch a lot of stupid things on YouTube. Any, any other guys, you just watch dumb things on YouTube. And uh, for some reason, oh, I can see you. Hello. How are you? Hello, beautiful people. Uh, I, I, there's, there's a lot of weird things on, 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 on social media. I don't know if you know that, Mike. There's a lot of weird things. There's too much weird things. And there's, these, um, there, there's a lot of these biker gang people. Uh, and, and, and they talk about how now once you're in a biker gang, like they got more like, they, they try to talk about liberals, but they got more rules than anybody. Like they are terrified of being triggered, right? Like you can't, you got you to approach them the right way. You got to talk to them the right way. You got to... But their thing is, once you're in the biker gang, you have to live according to the biker gang law. And I'm like, I don't know why any free person would want to do that. Uh, but, but it is expected of this carnal thing that you would live differently than you did before. But this is but an example of, in Christ, we are expected to live differently. Now, they enforce it with violence, and we, we, God doesn't enforce that upon us in a way that punishes us. We just punish ourselves by not living in the blessing of God. So we, we want to we wanna focus on what, what, what is this resurrection life? What does it look like? 
And so in today's text, we're about to read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has now been resurrected. Whereas before he has been discipling um, his, his apostles, what we call the apostles, his disciples, he was discipling them, preparing them for his murder and resurrection. But here he is teaching from the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Please turn to it somewhere. It says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to even the remotest parts of the earth. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen and amen. Thank you, Mike. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What we see interesting is Jesus, he spoke to his apostles very often about his death and resurrection, and they never understood it. They didn't get it. They, they, it just didn't make sense because nobody talks about how they're soon going to die when they're leading a movement. It'd be like going to a job interview and telling the job interview about how you plan on getting a different job, right? You, 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 don't, you, don't, you don't start a movement by telling them that you're soon going to be leaving the movement, right? That is not what you do. But that's what Jesus was doing the whole time. And there's a reason for this. Jesus was pointing towards an age when he wouldn't be with us, but the Holy Ghost would. Jesus talked about this spirit coming and filling and being upon us. He talked about it a lot, and as I have preached more almost than anything else, John the Baptist, when he was prophesying, when he was the Elijah to come, when he prophesied about Jesus, he didn't say, here's the Jesus who will come and teach you how to be nice. Or here's the, here's the Jesus who will come and teach you how to pray. Here, he is the Messiah who will come and, and, and he'll make you feel better about yourself. Or he's the one who will, he will rescue you from sin. He said, but the one who comes after me, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus' entire ministry pointed toward the future, not toward the present. It pointed toward what was coming and preparing his disciples towards what was coming. And, and this baptism in, in fire, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is the only way that you can live the Christian life. L- let me say this again. This being filled with the Spirit, being overflowing with the Spirit, having the Spirit upon you is the only way to live life as a Christian. Now, you can live in a way that other people call you Christian. You can live in a way where you identify as Christian. You can live in a way where the church thinks you're doing good, but you cannot actually be a Christian unless you have received the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not giving some sort of litmus test, who prays in tongues, who doesn't, who prophesies, who doesn't. You cannot be a Christian without the Spirit. But you can't be an actual disciple of Jesus unless you have received the Spirit in a way that you're allowing Him to lead and dictate your life. You see, see, there were 613 Jewish laws. And they were constantly living their lives trying to fulfill these laws. And even worse than that, they had these laws, but they didn't just live by the laws. They lived by how the rulers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, interpreted the law. There's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah... When we look at the Bible that we have today, we think that the Jews had a Bible. 
And they would look for themselves and say, well, let me see if I can do this. And the, 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 the Bible was not actually put together. The Old Testament was not actually gathered as a book until the third century A.D. The Jews didn't have a Bible that everybody had in their hands. What you had was you had a rabbi or you had the priests at the temple, and they would give this teaching. It was their teachings, their interpretation of the oracles of God that people lived by. And so they have laws that, that where God said, don't mix this fabric with that fabric, where God was talking about don't intermingle with the people around you. The priests decided that meant literally you cannot have a fabric with two types of linen in it. And so they would have to uh, do this interpretation according to their priests and the, and the rabbis, how to satisfy God. And so they had this 613 laws, but it wasn't just the 613 laws. It was the rabbi's interpretation of the 613 laws. And so today, if you're a practicing Jew, especially if you're an Orthodox Jew, you'll have the Tanakh, what we would call the Old Testament or the First Testament, and they would have with it the Mishnah. The Mishnah is what it means because it has long been understood that no individual person can interpret God. It takes a community. There, there's been a debate on, uh, and I, don't, I talk about social media too much probably, but there's been a debate among uh, uh, um, theological Twitter. I'm, I'm just in theological circles in Twitter uh, about, the, you know, you don't need a Ph.D., to read the Bible. If you have an English Bible, just you and the Bible is all you need. And we would say amen. But the fact is it took 20 PhDs to actually interpret the Bible into English. You don't need one PhD. You need 20. You need 50. You need a couple thousand years of interpretation and, and exegetical work and homiletical work and, and, and soteriological work to understand what this Greek and Aramaic Hebrew text meant for us in the context and today. It takes a community to interpret the scriptures. And what the Jews were signifying back then is it's not just you and God. It's you, the community of people in God. And what might God be speaking to you specifically within the community of God? Those of you who are joining us online, I'm so thankful for this technology that allows you to join us. But if you join us online instead of coming in person, you're violating what the church actually is. The church is not a drive through where you make your order, you don't have to see anybody, you get what you want, and you go home. You are created to be part of community. Now, if you are sick and, you're, and you can't come in, man, I am thankful that you can virtually be a part of us online. If you live so far away that you can't drive and you call Revival Life Church your home, you join us online, praise God, you better be in an online life group because you need some life on life. You say, no, it's just me and Jesus, and I would say, if we look at your life, it probably isn't. And I don't mean that as judgment. I mean that as we need this iron sharpens iron. We need the sanctifying of, the, of a part of the week for Jesus. Amen. We need to set apart and say, yeah, I could go to the beach. I could just enjoy myself. But actually, I have to consecrate part of my week for God. That's part of being a Christ follower. And so I don't speak any judgment if you're joining us online. I'm not telling you go find a church that says, you know, you don't need to be part of the church. But I'm just saying if you're able to come, you need to come. No judgment on people who are incapable, but those who don't want to, judgment. <laughs> but my point is, Jesus did not come and just give us the ability to keep the rules. That was not why he, come, he came. It's not why he sent the Spirit. He did not send the Spirit just so we would be able to be better Jews. We didn't, he didn't send us to replace the Jews. That, that, that wasn't it. He came with a new kingdom. 
And this new kingdom has an entirely new way of operating. It looks very different than the world. It looks very different than Judaism. And it looks very different than cultural Christianity. The Pharisees and the Sadducees both, they they didn't want this. They they didn't want this. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they fought against Jesus doing this because Jesus, Jesus didn't promise them what they wanted. This is super, super important. I want you to catch this in the scripture. And, and I, I would like us as a church, I'm not, no judgment, you know, you don't have to bring a notebook and, and, and all that, but, you know, we have the scriptures up here, but let's try to make a habit of opening the Bible and reading scriptures. I'm going to try to start slowing down when I'm preaching so you have time to get to the scripture I'm reading. You can make notes or whatever, or you can open it in your app. It's like, this is good, but it's different when you have your own, you're looking at it, you can highlight, you can, you can like, let's, in, let's, let's, let's make this a little more important in our gathering. Is that all right? Let's, let's make this a little more, this, like, amen, amen. What we see today is preachers that have a message and they say, and this proves that I'm right. And so they, they sprinkle in scriptures to show that what they're saying is right. And what we want to say is, hey, we're, I, I, you know, I've been digging in this thing all week and let me tell you what I found. And so let's, let's honor the word and let's just, let's value what God is speaking here and let's, let's actually crack it open. So I want to show you here in Acts chapter one, uh, verse, verse, uh, what we have read, which you've probably read a thousand times. Uh, and if you're like me, Pentecostal from jump about a billion times, uh, Acts chapter one. So Jesus has died and, um, and you got to think like, like there's a kingdom killing all your people and your, your leader, he just conquered death. You've got to figure like, Nothing is impossible now. Like, I didn't know what you were doing before, but you conquered death. Like, we're taking over everything. There's nothing that can stop us because the worst Rome can do is kill us. And we found out that doesn't work. Like, what, what, what do you have left, right? Like, we are going to run things now, right? Right? This is what they're thinking. And so, and so Jesus, so they gather, so it says gathering together. I want, you, I want you to see this. Verse five, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is Jesus, right? Then they said to him, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? This is, I have searched the Greek in this to make sure that the English is accurate. Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Not just are you restoring the kingdom of God. Not just will you reign on earth, will we reign? Will you restore the kingdom to us? It's the heart that Jesus begins rebuking here. If you start wondering, like, what, what, Jesus, they, Jesus said something, then they said something completely unrelated, then Jesus said something completely unrelated to that. If, if you don't see this context, are we finally going to rule over this land? And Jesus is like, man, this is, this is, he says, and he says to them, oh man, you want power. He's like, it's, it's not for you to know times and what, what's going to happen when you will get power. It's not the power you're looking for. It's the power you shall, verse, verse eight, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They were looking for this ruling, reigning, dictating power, the power to be wealthy, the power to be safe, the power to control their surroundings. And Jesus is like, man, I don't, I don't know if you've been with me the last three years, but that's, that's not how this thing works. It didn't even work for Jesus that way, amen? It did, like, that is not even what the, the paradigm he 
walked within. He's talking about the baptism of the Spirit. And Jesus talked about it a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. And, and the disciples still thought this whole thing was about power. Jesus came as a humble servant. And if your idea of coming into your call is something other than a humble servant, the, the world may have helped shave your vision, shape your vision. If you, if, if you think that when you finally come into what God has called you to do, and you're going to be anything other than more humble than you are right now, and more of a servant than you are right now, you have superimposed the American dream onto God's kingdom. You want, the, you want the kingdom restored to you, as opposed to I am now called to walk and serve God's kingdom. You see that? I mean, you see how easy it is. Like, I need you to see how easy it is to get this wrong. Like, we are being baptized into an entire different way of living in South Florida. In Boca Raton, where we're judged by the car you drive, or, or the shoes you can afford, or some other nonsensical thing like that. Like, this is, like, you, you, like, this comes early, and it comes often. It, you are constantly being bombarded with, are you cool enough? Can you afford the right lifestyle? Are you getting it right? And Jesus is like, man, my kingdom... Like, what would Jesus speak to Boca Raton? I don't know. I doubt he'd be, like, super excited. I, 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 I doubt that. I really, and I'm like, oh, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just like, he's like, wow, y'all are so wealthy. And what are you doing with that money? Like, and, you're, and you're Christians, huh? I can imagine, I can imagine John showing up and being like, and you're, you have how much in the bank? I thought you were a follower of Jesus, right? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to me too, right? Like, like really, it, what, what is shaping our vision? And they, were, they wanted to return the kingdom of Israel. And he's like, no, you're part of a different kingdom now. You are part of a different kingdom now. Jesus was about to be taken into heaven. And so he didn't teach any parables. He didn't have time for parables. He didn't have time for long lessons where they walk all through Galilee and he stumbles upon people. He, he's like, he gets right to the point. In John 14, 26, Jesus said this. He said, the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He'd been telling them all along, like, I am going, I'm, I'm like, my job is to pay the penalty for sin and to prepare you to receive Holy Spirit and also recognize, like, when I look at the life of the disciples, if you've done any mental health work, if you've been in therapy, if you've done counseling, you've got to, like... I, I, I read the Bible now, and I'm like, how much PTSD did these disciples have by the time Jesus, like, what, how much therapy did they need at the end of this? They never knew what was happening. Everywhere they went, they were about to be murdered. The guy they were following was constantly putting them in harm's way. He told them that they would all be persecuted and murdered. The guy that they follow was brutally murdered and then disappeared. Like, talk about abandonment issues, right? <laughs> I read these and I'm like, good God, Jesus. I'm like, people are like, man, I wish he was here. I'm like, are, really? Are, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Right? Are you sure about that? Like, can you imagine what being discipled by Jesus was like? He, like he's not impressed by what you're doing. He knows your heart. And you're like, I got it all right, God. And he's like, really? Uh, really? Did you clean your browser tabs? Did you really? Like, he's just like, like Jesus is like, he, know, he knows what's going on. He knows what's going on, right? He's in your DMs, right? Like, he's, you're not hiding anything from him. I'm just like, I'll just take a human disciple. That, that's, that's, you know, I, I, but Jesus was preparing them for a kingdom that they weren't ready for. 
And he was totally shifting the paradigm. And on earth, I want you to hear this. On earth, there's like this, this competition. We think like, we think like, we think, um, you know, I'm Christian and now I'm going to rule. And all I need to do now is I need to climb this, this ramp to get higher and higher in ruling in the kingdom. And, and, and that's just, that's not how it works, right? I wish, I wish it were, no, I don't wish it were so, because that would, that, that's, that would be so lacking grace. But, but there is the kingdom of God, and there is a war against you entering the kingdom of God. You have to understand that there, this, this way that Jesus left, the Sadducees hated it. The Pharisees hated it. They hated it to the point of murdering Jesus. Not just because they were demonized, but he threatened the system that they set up. Right? And I need you to see that there is a war going on against this, uh, your participation in this system. Uh, on the earth, there, there's a competition. There's God's plan, there's Satan's plan, there's our plan, and only one of those is holy. There's God's plan, there's our plan, there's Satan's plan, and only one of those is holy. Our, our, our goal is not to be good, our goal is to be holy. I, I, we, 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 need to, we need to set the bar a little higher. In, his, in, in the book of Galatians, Paul writes this letter in, in Galatians 5, and he talks about there's this war between the flesh and the spirit. There's this, there's this war. He uses language of war. It's, uh, it's um, Galatians chapter 5. I want to read it to you. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God's Electric Power Company. Get it? G-E-P-C. That's how you can find those. G-E-P-C. That's how I always remember it. And I'll be flipping... I don't have, I don't have memory issues, so I have to remember stupid things like that. Galatians chapter 5 in verse, verse 19, let's, let's, let's read this out of the Word of God. It says, he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, that means splitting people apart, envying, drunkenness, carousing. In all things like these, I, I, I got I got some extended family members in a cult, and they're like they're like, well, the Bible doesn't say. I'm like, there it is, right there. In all things like these, right, right, okay. Uh, in all things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now there there's um. There's a lot of debate over heaven and hell and all these things, but there's a whole lot of scriptures just like this. People who live this way won't inherit the kingdom of God. And we talked last week, like we talked last week about the fruit of the Spirit and how desperately you were created to bear the fruit of the Spirit, how every good thing internally looks like the fruit of the Spirit. And we see that here in verse 22, a little bit farther down. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. So there was no law regarding what you're supposed to do. There was only law regarding what you're not supposed to do. I, I want you to catch this. Legalists are, are, are trying to, to do the right thing. They're trying to keep from doing bad things. That's how you know you're in a legalistic mindset. Your whole focus is on not doing the wrong thing. What Paul's saying here is y'all are focusing on the wrong thing. We're supposed to be focusing on bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's got nothing to do with the law. As we follow the Spirit, we will bear this fruit 
And we will naturally not do the works of the flesh. Where the, where, 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 where the first covenant, where the first testament talked about not doing the wrong thing, and if you do the wrong thing, what you have to do, this new thing is all about being so in connection with God that we're doing the right thing and good things come out of us. You see the difference? And, and for those of you who wrestle with um, sins of the flesh, you, do, you, lust, you, excuse me, you, you wrestle with maybe greed or lust or anger, um, I would tell you, and I'm talking about those who wrestle with it, not, not those who don't. If you're just living in it, that, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but those of you who are, who are wrestling with it, I would, I would tell you to focus a little bit more on the goodness of God in your life. Like stop, like whatever you stare at grows. And so if you are, if you're, I'm going to use pornography just because, you know, just people deal with it. Uh, the more you, you, you focus on not looking at pornography, the more pornography is going to take up your brain. Um, I, when I got saved, I got saved into kind of a, a purity culture church where everything was about that. And I never struggled with things until I got saved there. And all of a sudden, like I, like I grew up in South Florida. Like I grew up at the beach. Now all of a sudden, you know, I can't bike next to anybody wearing a bikini because I'm falling into sin in my mind. I'm like, what in the world? And it took me like a decade to realize I was focused on sin and lust. Like if I just looked at, oh, there's my sister and just kept biking. Like, what? She's got shoulders just like me, you know, like. What do you know? She has knees, you know, like I'm not sexualizing people now because it's not the center of my brain. The center of my brain is blessing those around me, not protecting myself from them. Amen. And so, so Christianity is not a religion that measures us by how many bad things we avoid. It's a faith based on being led by Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Christianity is not a religion that measures us by how many bad things we avoid. It is a faith based on being led by the Holy Ghost. You cannot do any of the bad things and it doesn't mean you're doing anything good. <laughs> right? So in order to receive all the Holy Spirit has for you, we have to understand the difference between the demonic and the satanic. And this is for some of you, this is going to be the most important message you have heard in years. I, I can't tell you this is going to be a pivotal message for some people in this house and, and in some lives in here. I want you to hear this. Like, there, there is a difference between the demonic and the satanic, and, and, and you can avoid one and fall completely into the other, and nobody in the church will call you out because they have absolutely no discernment. <clears throat> okay. The demonic and, and, and the satanic, <clears throat> these are the ways that evil works on us. Now, I am letting you know right now, I am basing this entirely on my study of Scripture, but more importantly on a professor of mine in seminary, uh, uh, Dr. Chris Green, who's bishop-elect of um, the parish of St. Anthony. But, um, uh, but I, I have studied this in Scripture, and I know this to be true. Um, I just want to give credit where credit's due. I, I wish I came up with this on my own. Uh, he, put the, he put the nugget in my brain, and I have run with it to search. Okay, so evil works against us. Can you say amen? Yeah. Evil is coming against us where God wants us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And evil comes at us in many ways, and we don't always recognize it. Now, the demonic, when there's a demonic attack, when the, when the demonic is at work, it's always chaotic. 
It's always, there's always craziness. There's, it's, it's the embodiment of darkness, and it threatens to undo us. It threatens to destroy us. The demonic comes to completely sever ourselves from ourselves. It, it comes to wreak havoc and chaos and um, destroy the things around you. This is, this is what the demonic does. It, it threatens you with annihilation. That's the voice that's the voice whispering in your ear, driving you crazy. That is the, that is the demonic. That is the voice that, that, is, that is prompting you to do evil things you don't want to do. That is a voice that when you're praying, tells you to get up and go look at those things that you said you're not going to look at anymore. That's the voice that tells you to be angry. You, you, you know when you're in the shower arguing with people? That's the demonic, all right? That, that's... I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost knows. Holy Ghost knows. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost knows. That the Holy Ghost knows. That is. <laughs> That's the demonic. That is the demonic. Have you noticed, like, you could win that argument, but you still have it time and time and time again? How many times are you going to have that same argument? Because it works. The demon don't stop doing it. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't stop. Now, the satanic is different. The satanic, it's not about disorder, but about false order. This is, this is super, super important to get. It, it's, not, it's not about darkness. The satanic is not about darkness. Now, be, be, before I continue, we start to think like, this is demonic, but that is satanic. Like, this, is, this might be like, I'm angry, but satanic means I have a gun. No, those are both demonic. Satanic is not about darkness, it's about false light. It, 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 here's what happens. The demonic comes and causes confusion, and the satanic comes and gives you a false rescue from the demonic. The demonic sets you up for chaos, and the satanic comes and gives you a false rescue. It, it sets away. It, it's, 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 it sets you up to go down a path that God has not set for you. Evil is always attacking us with demonic, and it's always offering us rescue with the satanic. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul, Paul has this conversation with the church in Corinth. And uh, in the church in Corinth, there were some... some, some um, you don't put that up quite yet. Um, in, the, in, in, in Corinth, there... Paul had established the church there, and there were some leaders who like were jealous of Paul, and they had they had sown division, and and they came and they made people fearful of Paul, right? They sowed the, this this demonic disorder among the church in Corinth. This is this is what it it maps out. <clears throat> Excuse me, and so <clears throat> they came and they made people, even though that Paul established them. The, the, these leaders came and, and, and said, like, can you really trust Paul? Is Paul really a good leader? Like, like look at him. He's in prison. Look, 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 he's not rich like, I, like we are. He's this way. And, um, and, and, and this demonic, it caused disorder in the church. And so what these leaders did was the satanic came along and said, you know what? Since we can't trust Paul, you should follow me. So the demonic sowed distrust in Paul with some people, and then those people said, you can't trust Paul, you should trust me. That was a satanic. 
Paul clearly was the apostle to Corinth. Can we say amen? These people set themselves up as the apostle over Corinth. This was the false light that came to rescue them from the demonic. They thought they were doing godly things. Hear me, you can never sin for God. You can never sin for God. There is never an evil that we must do because it's required for us to follow God's purpose. We can never say, well, I don't, you know, it's wrong to kill people, but sometimes we have to kill some people to bring God's kingdom. No, that is satanic. That is a false order. I'm going to be slightly political and hopefully offend every political side here. It's impossible to hate immigrants and call yourself a Christian. You can't hate immigrants. Now, you can say we need immigration policy. You can say we need, you know, immigration. You could, you, you, you can, we could, you could say we need laws that govern this in a right and fair way. To hate immigrants is to not be a follower of Christ. But you can't say, well, God set this country in order, and if we have to put some children in cages to keep God's kingdom here, no, you will never have to put children in cages to make God. Are you hearing me? That is satanic. Anytime you think you have to do evil for God's sake, you have fallen into the satanic. I know this is wrong, but it has to be done. No, it doesn't. No, no, not, not in the name of Jesus, it doesn't. Evil, listen, satanic is doing the right thing the wrong way. That's you doing something for God. God, God can't get that done. I better go ahead and get it done for him. I had a conversation in seminary with the young women. I had a, there was a class, and um, in many of my classes, I, I hate to say this, I'm almost embarrassed to confess this to you, but the, the longer I was in seminary, the more often it was, I was the oldest guy in the classroom, which I, don't, I, I felt some type of way. I don't know where I'm thinking there should be more pastors here. But we're having this conversation in uh, one of our classes. It was a New Testament survey class, and we were talking about legalism, and there were a handful of us pastors in this class, and there was a lot of young people who knew everything. Right? So there were like a bunch of 22, 23, 24-year-olds who knew everything, and then there were some of us senior pastors who were like, well, it's not as clear-cut as you think. And um, we were talking about the love of God, and we were talking about legalism. And I said, you know, and I made a very bold statement. I said, legalism will never convert the heart. Only the love of God will convert a heart and make somebody a disciple of Jesus. To which this girl said, Jesus is coming back, and we got to get people ready. We don't have time for love. Um, um, wait, wait, um, Jesus is coming back, so we don't have time for Jesus' plan to work. We better put our plan into motion so we can get things ready for Jesus. That is the satanic. To think that I need to discard Jesus' plan because I got a better one to make place for, for Jesus. Are, 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 you, are you seeing the pattern here? Are you seeing the pattern? Well, I know he said I need to forgive, but you know, no, that's... The but is where you just left Christ. Okay? So, so I, I, you need to get this in. This, we need to just really absorb this. I know this is hard. So in Corinth, these people came with an offense against Paul. And, 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 and he made the, they made the people fearful with lies. Then they offered themselves to the answer of their fears. And Paul said, listen, you, 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 you have to forgive them. And I have to forgive them. Just as you've forgiven, and eventually the Holy Ghost let them see that these were wolves among them, right? And so they finally, 
they were wrestling with, do we forgive or we do not forgive? Do we, you know, does Paul... And so Paul, I need you to see this. Paul is underneath a building in a, in a dungeon, chained to a wall, writing this. He is a prisoner for the gospel. And he's writing them saying, hey, as you've forgiven them, I have forgiven them. And I implore you, real freedom comes from walking in this forgiveness. Here's a man in chains who's more free than the people who tried to split the church. Right? And then he says this, verse 11. Here's why he tells them we need to do it. This is, this is the background of this verse. Like, as you've forgiven them, I've forgiven them. Why? Watch this. Verse 11. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. So when you keep quoting, you know, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. What Paul was saying is, we cannot come up with our own plan because if we do and violate the teachings of Jesus, we have fallen into the plot of Satan. Do you see this? Is this, is this, is this starting to make sense? It operated in the demonic to get them scared, then they operated in the satanic, offering themselves as a solution to their fear. And this is, this is what the devil does. I've seen the devil do, excuse me, do this in people's lives over and over and over again. They, uh, I have a, a, a friend in ministry who, tragically, he, he was a, a leader of a network. None of you know him, so I'm not talking about anybody you've met. He was one of the three leaders of a global, global network of churches. He hit midlife crisis, and uh, he wound up having an affair with his uh, secretary, um, tragically, uh, has an affair with his secretary, and when, um, uh, actually, Pastor Cameron, as you know, went to go minister to this guy, and he's there with the guy and the guy's wife, and this girl that he was having an affair with had kids who were young, and it was his daughter's best friend. Like, how many levels can you mess things up, right? And so, and it turns out that she had had an affair with her last pastor, and yet this pastor still hired her to be his assistant. Oh, wisdom, like, oh, red flags, right? So it's just ugly all the way around. And so now this guy has destroyed his ministry, destroyed his family, the church, of course, like, can't be our pastor, right? And so he's destroyed everything around him. And then he says, um, he says, uh, um, I can't leave this girl now. Everybody's abandoned her. I can't abandon her too. No, yes, yes, you, yes, you, like, that's, that's, that's satanic. That is Satan's plan to rescue this girl. That is not the spirit of God. Do you see, you see the difference? It sounds good. It sounds good. We can't abandon her. A- absolutely. So you need to pay for her to get some therapy. That, that's what, that, that, that's, that's God's plan, God's way. God's plan, your way is satanic. Oh, I can't, like, are you on drugs? Like, are you, have you lost your mind? Later on in, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6, <clears throat> Paul writes this. He says, giving no offense for any, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, look at this, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. 
Now, Paul is talking about warfare here. I, I want you guys to see this. this is, I'm telling you, I, I want to preach today, but I, just, I feel like I have to teach because it's so important. Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. And when I read 2 Corinthians 6, what jumps out at me is verse 7, of course. In the word of truth, in the power of God. This is where I want to wind up. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. But that's not where Paul started. I want you to see this. Where Paul started was way back in verse 4. He says in verse 3, I'm not going to cause offense in anything so that the ministry won't be discredited. Whereas if you do it your way, your ministry is discredited. In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much, that first word, what? Endurance, verse 4. Second, afflictions. Third, hardships. Fourth, distress, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, hunger, purity and knowledge and patience and kindness. He starts with struggles. And if you cannot make it through the warfare, the struggles, the sufferings of Christ, you can never walk in a true unadulterated power of God. If you have to sin in the hardship, you cannot be trusted in the power of God without bringing offense to the ministry. I recently had someone who had been listening to our, our messages. He, came, he called me and he said, hey, I, uh, I listened to your message. This was just this week. He said, I, I heard you talking about suffering. And that's, you know, I've listened to a couple of your messages and you talked about suffering. He's like, I think that might be a real life word for you. I was like, hey, I appreciate your heart, but I preached the lectionary and I'm actually teaching all the Bible that no one ever teaches you. Suffering is all over the New Testament, but it's not popular. Because churches want to promise you a Jesus that Jesus never promised you. This power of God, it's not a magic... I I, at one point, I thought that my hand was a magic wand. And wherever I decided to lay it, there God would be forced to lay And what I found was it would lay on people but would not remain because they did not have the character through suffering to walk with it. As soon as a hardship came, as soon as the waves came, as soon as the rocks came, they looked for something else. Are are, are you getting this? He started with suffering and persecutions. He ended in seven with the power of God. Paul was doing this on purpose. And then he says something very important in verse 7 I want you to pick up on. By the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Now, the left hand is where you would have your shield. Right? This is, this is, this is where the demonic attacks, my righteousness would stop the demonic attack. Right? That's the shield that would keep me from entering in. But what are you doing with your right hand? Are you swinging now the sword of the word allowing suffering, being purified in the persecutions? Or have you taken up the world's sword? Oh, yeah, you're great. You're not, you're not looking at pornography. You're not cheating on your, your, your husband. You're not, you're not stealing from your job. You're working while you're at work. But what, what plan are you doing? That, that the law would not call sin, but under the new covenant, is this actually God's plan? Or is this your plan to bring, a power, bring, a, bring uh, God's plan into fruition? Is this a good thing done God's way or a good thing done your way? 
I spent some time with Bishop Mark Sharona this week. And, uh, oh, Bishop, I, I want you all to rest assured that uh, your pastor has a pastor who has no problem reproofing him. I just want just to put that out there. If, we, if you and I have had uncomfortable conversations, I promise you, they've not been nearly as uncomfortable as the conversations I have with Bishop. They paint like, your pastor is being discipled. And so we, we went through, we went through like, we went through like six, he brought up on, a, on browser, six browser tabs, six Instagram prophets, right? Uh, and, and half of them, if I said their name, you would, if you've been with me anytime, you would recognize them because we might've even used their stuff. And so he brings about, the, he plays these prophecies and there was a handful of us watching and he plays these prophecies and he's like, all right, tell me what you're hearing. Tell me what you're hearing. Tell me what you're hearing. And those of you who are familiar with the gift of prophecy, uh, you know, we believe that the Lord can speak, edify, exhortate, exhort, equip. And, uh, and so if, if, if you know, and, and in, the, in the streams that we've come from, if a prophecy is negative, it's not God. But if it's positive, it probably is. The only problem is not every positive word is from God. I need you to hear this. So this is going to help you discern. This is going to help your discernment. And so we played these prophecies. Now, some of them made me laugh because they were just so stupid, right? They just, one was like, you know, I see the angel. Like the, he had these angelic encounters, but there was no anointing on them. I had the, an angelic encounter with, the, with, the, with an angel of finance and an angel of accounting. And I'm like, angel of accounting? Does that even make sense to you? Like, I was like, I need the, I need the angel of clean my garage. That's, that's the angel, <laughs> right? Like this, that, angel of accounting, like, what? what? That's writing down numbers. What are you talking about, the angel of accounting? Like this, this makes no sense. But every one of these words sound like prophetic words that you have heard before, except they weren't. Like what, what was wrong with these prophetic words? And finally, after the third one, I said, Bishop, I, I see where you're getting at here. He's like, what? What, what? what do you think is happening here? I said, these people are projecting their need from God onto us as a prophecy. Because they feel insecure, they are prophesying security on the people. Because they want financial gain, they're now prophesying that God is speaking to us financial gain. They are prophesying onto us their woundedness. The only problem is God has not spoken any of that. God didn't speak any of those words. It is so easy. You're like, have you heard any of these words? They're so general. They could be for anybody, and you could never judge them as a false prophecy because they aren't actually saying anything, yet they still call themselves a prophet. Have you seen these words? I'm like, this is foolishness. What is it? This is man trying to do God's will man's way. This is not God. When that real prophetic word comes and your spirit man is quickened, you, you know when the angel of the Lord has spoken. You, you know when the anointing is at work. You know when God is speaking. I'm like, this, 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 is, this is charismatic Christianity today. This is people speaking. They've been formed by a teaching that says any positive word and it's biblical is God. It ain't God. That don't mean it's God. That means it's not demonic. But that doesn't mean it's God. You see the difference? God wants to prosper everybody in this room. Can you say amen? Now, if I told the entire room what that would look like, that would be a false prophecy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These things, they, they, they sound great. They sound logical. They sound good, but they're satanic. 
They're not, I'm not saying Satan with horns and a pitchfork is riding in on the room. It is the way, it's God trying to do, it's the Tower of Babel. We'll build ourselves a tower to God. And God's like, you know, it doesn't actually work that way. It doesn't actually work that way. God wants, wants us to have life. And the satanic offers, what he offers is not a life. I want you to hear this. What the satanic offers you is not, it's not a life, but it's a security against death. The satanic offers you that you will not have to go through suffering. That the satanic offers you that you will not have to go through warfare. That you won't have to go through the first half of what Paul boasted about. That you somehow are going to avoid having to work out your issues. And you will somehow jump forward three spaces and skip the refining work that the Holy Ghost wants to do in your life. Is this making sense? Is this, is, I hope I'm articulating this well. Because I, I felt when... It, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Let me show you an example. In Matthew chapter 16. You've seen this before, but let's, let's unpack it together. If you're just visiting us today, I don't talk about the devil hardly at all. But, um, you know, but today we're doing this. Matthew chapter 16. This is, this is, let me show you a perfect example here. Matthew chapter 16, we're starting verse 21. Here's the word of God, ready? Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he, what word? What's that word? Okay, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen. Now, Jesus said it must happen. Peter said it should never happen. Now, none of us want Jesus to be beaten. None of us want him to be disrespected. None of us want him to be murdered, right? But Jesus said it must happen, right? Um, but, verse 23, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Okay, let's unpack this really quick. Jesus was not calling Peter, who would be the bishop of Rome. He was not calling him Satan. What he's saying is this mindset of setting yourself on Boca Raton's algorithm instead of the Holy Ghost plan, that is of the Satan. Right? Jesus was telling Peter, your plans are not the plans of God. They were what he was going to do for God. Peter was going to do something very good for God, but not God's way. Your mind is not on God's interests, but man's. They were satanic. This is the battle we live in in South Florida. This is why we don't see the power of God in South Florida. I mean, we see healings here and there. We do not see the power of God transforming communities because we don't believe that the communities are doing anything wrong. We don't think there's a systemic problem with what's going on in South Florida. We don't see that homeless people is antichrist. We, we, we don't see, we just, we don't see it. We do not see it. 
And everyone wants to be the richest, the most powerful, the most successful, and these are the desires of Satan. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He was not calling Peter Satan. He was saying, Peter, that plan is of the Satan. What you need to do is line up with me. Get behind me. He's not saying, get out of my sight. He's telling Peter, you're supposed to be following me. I don't follow you. I called you to lay down your life and follow me. He's like, so just get behind me and line up with what I said needs to happen. Does that make sense? Amen, 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 amen. And that's what you want to hear, amen. It's it's easy to say I'm not going to sin. It's harder to say I'm going to follow Jesus. We, 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 we. Oh, Jesus. We can use our physical strength to keep from physical sin, but we need the Spirit to live a life that produces the fruit of the Spirit. We want Jesus to give us answers. We want Him to give us techniques. We want Him to give us steps. But, but Jesus doesn't say, this is, this is how I work. He says, I will give you the Holy Ghost. And when you need to know something, you'll know it. And when you need instruction, you'll get it. But you need to know that you're in my kingdom. The satanic feeds on our desire to know everything. And so he feeds us plans that sound like God, but they're really man's plans. This is the root of all the false prophecies. When the satanic has gripped your imagination, it is so much harder to get free. When you talk to these people and you're like, that is not God. They're like, no, you just need to believe. Believe what? What, what? But, oh, you're like those people in Corinth. I should be following you. If, if you notice, these false prophets, they want you to have faith in them. That is not faith at all. I have, I'm doing a very deep, deep, deep study in the Greek word pistas, which is used as faith in all of the Pauline epistles. And we're going to have a good time with it. But that is not what he's talking about, to have faith in this person. That is not it. The satanic feeds on our desire to know what's coming, to know the steps that are coming. When, and, and when the satanic has gripped your imagination, when you believe, that's like, like I got in a lot of trouble when I said, even if the prophets, even if um, President Trump was reelected, the prophets would still be wrong. This had nothing to do with knowledge. It was the spirit they were prophesying from. It was just, a, it was a wrong, it, what, they were wrong. They, God wasn't speaking any of those things. And as it turned out, the election proved that they were wrong. But they would have been wrong even if he was reelected. That, that, was, that, was, that was my deal from the beginning. People got offended with me from that, and I'm just like, the door works both ways, right? It'll let you in, it'll let you out, you know? That, that, you know, it is what it is. But surrendering your hopes and plans and trusting that God, the Spirit, is going to be all Jesus said he would be, man, that is hard. This is hard. And in that season, I had to deconstruct. Can I just get... Mikey and Brendan to come up. I just want y'all to play a groove for a little bit. Can, can you do that? Where's he at? Where's he at? He's back there somewhere. There he is. Come on up and just play for a second. I want to I wanna minister here for a second. See, here's what Jesus said before he went into heaven. I, <clears throat> listen, I... I um, <clears throat> my heart is heavy today, but it's hopeful. Um, it, it, it's heavy... It's heavy because I haven't really understood the dynamic at work and I finally get it. That so much of the church has walked in so much deception and the charismatic church that I love has walked in so much deception. No, you just leave it right there. Just leave it on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 
we've walked in so much deception, and I've, um, <clears throat> there has been so much heartbreak. I went through a season where when God began unpacking this in my life, three, four years ago, three years ago, I felt like the ground underneath me had turned to quicksand. Like, what, what do I hold on to? What, what, like, what, if these false plans, this, this, this future that I had imagined for myself and put onto God, that I had projected out of my woundedness. Because in my woundedness, what I needed was security. I haven't told my testimony in a while, I need to do it very soon. But I grew up from a broken home. I grew up as poor as poor gets in Florida. I mean, I've been as broke as anybody in here. I, I promise you that. I've been without food. I've been without electricity. I've been, I've been I, 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 you know, I, I, there was a season in my life that I have malnutrition marks in my nails. Like I, I have grown up poor. I have grown up broken. I have grown up not living well. And when I came to Jesus, it was my understanding that he would deliver me from all that. But Jesus like, your woundedness is not my purpose. I am the God of heaven and earth, and I will heal your woundedness, but bringing you out of your financial uncertainty is not what I'm the God of. And so I prophesied out of my abandonment, I prophesied out of my woundedness, I prophesied out of my brokenness, and not for nothing, I saw a lot of people come up out of that. And I still prophesy that to you if you are wounded, if you are hurt, if it's hard for you to trust. I can now prophesy from a place of healing saying, God can bring you out of that. He can bring you out of that. But I also prophesy with the full knowledge that God is forming you into the image of His Son. We call that the cruciform life. A life formed like the cross. And that is an object of suffering. I don't want any of you to suffer. But Peter didn't want Jesus to suffer. Where you gotta go when we tell couples who are going to go to marriage counseling, we, we, we warn them every time. My wife and I, we don't got a PhD in marriage counseling. And I don't mean giving, I mean getting, right? Like we spent way too long and way too much money on marriage counseling, did we not? Some very, 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 very painful months. We went, we went, it was worth it because we're still married. In the name of Jesus, happily. Amen. Happily. But we tell couples, when you go to marriage counseling, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because all them things that you've been ducking, you're finally going to talk about. And now things are going to get ugly. And that's, and that's what happens when you come to Jesus. We tell people, man, everything's going to get better. And you know what? You're going to get delivered. You're going to have new life. You're going to get the Holy Ghost. But then you're going you're gonna to have to revisit some hard places. Because in your woundedness, you believed some things that aren't true. And Jesus has to take us back to our place of woundedness to recognize the lies so we can bring the truth. Some, some of you suffered abuse, real abuse. And in that demonic attack, Satan came and gave you a lie to hold on to to bring you false light. Oh, you were sexually molested. Oh, the, the demon. The demon came and, and, forgive me if I said that and it triggered you, but um, a demon caused somebody to violate you sexually. Satan comes along and says, hey, I got a way to keep you safe. Don't trust men. And now 20 years later, you don't understand why your marriage is struggling because you're still believing this lie 
that Satan gave you as false light from the demonic attack. It's just all over counseling. It's just it's all over discipleship. And so for some of you who grew up broke and you had financial struggles, healing for you will not look like you getting rich. It will look like you not worrying in the midst of having financial troubles. That's what healing will look like. You actually can radically depend on Jesus. For some of you who are like desperate, desperate, desperate for a mate, I pray that every one of you gets a godly husband or wife, baptized in the Holy Ghost, leads you to where God has you. But healing may be, you know what? Follow a Savior who was single and he did pretty well. I'm at peace until God's timing comes. It's not for me to know the times or seasons, and I'm okay with that. tell you this uh i uh i had a i had a very bad time in delray growing up it was it was hard my family was broken a lot of mental health issues in my family dropped out of school in the ninth grade as you know i I moved out of my house at 14 went through a lot of struggles just just a bad time just a bad bad time and uh joined the service uh, moved around the country and uh went to the university of florida and um, I was never, ever, 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 ever going to move back here. Because for me, Delray was a place of woundedness. Never, ever, ever was going to come back. And uh, I was finally saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. I was ministering in Gainesville. Things were going really well. I came down for a Christmas vacation one time to visit my mom. And I remember as I got off I-95 at Linton Boulevard, I was pulling up to the light to stop. And I heard the Holy Ghost say to me, you're going to move back. You're moving back to Delray. And I said, oh, oh, oh no, I'm not. <laughs> no, 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 no. Far be it from you, Jesus, to come back down here. Uh, you know, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen. And, you know, to quote, I'm quoting Peter now. God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen. And he said, oh, yes, you will. This is your town. And so I visited my family, and I was like, you know, you ever get a word from God, and you're like, you don't really believe it's from God, so you just kind of put it on a shelf, you don't think about it anymore? That was me. Like, I was, I put that one on a high shelf, like a, a high shelf in deep back, in the back of the shelf, right? And I moved back, you know, I went back to Gainesville after, um, after Christmas break. It was my last semester of college, and uh, I was at a church that had a handful of pastors, and there was a pastor who was discipling me. And I get back, and he says, hey, I want to talk to you after service. And after service, I uh, say, hey, what's going on? He goes, hey, I just want to let you know, uh, next week they're going to announce that they're sending me to Boca Raton to start a church. I was like, oh, wow, wow. They're going to send me out with a team. I want you to pray about whether or not you're supposed to be on that team. (laughs) This is three days after the Lord told me I'm moving back to South Florida. Here's the part I want you to get. He said to me, Delray is your town. And for me, what I thought that meant was, I'm going to rule and reign in Delray. I might do a ministry in Delray that's going to make me something. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I am going to reign over Delray. And what Jesus was telling me was, that story you're running from, that's you too. That pain 
that pain, that hurt, that rejection, that's you too. That poverty that you went through, that's you too. That's, this is your town. As much as you want to run away from it, this is your town. And until you fully own that, you can never come into what I have for you. And I'd like to tell you I got that in the next couple of weeks, but I, I, honestly, it took me about two and a half decades to get that message. He wasn't sending me here to, to rule and reign in the place that I've been rejected. He sent me here to fully own my humanity and what he had called me to be and who he was creating me to be. And so I would say to you today, I would say to you today, I want you to be really vulnerable. I had planned on preaching a shorter than normal message so we had time to minister, but unfortunately they had me preach again, so that didn't happen. Do you want to you accomplish something that'll last? Do you want a legacy to leave your children? You're going to have to stop being in control. You're going to have to let the Holy Ghost be God. You're going to have to give your life to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Ghost and say, just like the wind comes and goes, so are those who are filled with the Spirit of God. I do not know where you are sending me, God. This is not the path that I would take. This is not the plan that I would make. As a matter of fact, God, if you need a plan, I got one, and I'm pretty sure it's better than the one you've been doing. I, the plan I have made looks better in every way imaginable than the plan that I have been living out up till now. That has been Carl. But what I am now seeing is God is like, oh, I don't know if you get this, but, but my disciples have a cross. There's a cross. And it's not just jewelry around your neck. There is a suffering that leads to power. And the only real authority that matters is the authority to bring God's kingdom. And so I would say to you today, Sheba, humbly, I would humbly submit to you today, Can you be vulnerable before the Lord with your disappointments, with your failures, with your sadness and your running? Can you bring it before the Lord with your plans, your aspirations, your hopes, the prophetic words that you're holding on to that really look like the best you personified? Can you be vulnerable with God today and say, maybe some of this was me? Maybe some of this is good, but it's not God. Because I promise you, man, I, I promise you, I could take you through a three-hour Bible study and show you that real joy only comes from submitting to God's power. Real joy only comes from submitting to God's power and saying, God, you actually are the one in control. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this with, with someone who walks with a limp. I'm not sharing this promising you the mega stage. I'm, I'm, I, this, is, this is the Jesus I see in the Bible. And, and you're part of a church with a pastor who walks with a limp, who knows what it's like to wrestle with God 
and submit to His power. And we are going to see God bring people who are disciples of Jesus and walk in the power of God and who are not fearful of the trials but have an assurance that God is still in control. So Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just posture yourself before the Lord right now. And I'm going to ask, ha. First of all, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered, that's going to look like you saying to God in your own words, I want what this guy is talking about. I want to be able to be like Cessia saying earlier, like in the midst of the storm, knowing that you are still God. Father, I do ask right now in the name of Jesus, I know there are broken people in this room today. There are people hurting, people dealing with suffering, people dealing with lack, people dealing with with real trials. Real trials. I know there are are people in here who are suffering with life-threatening illness. There's people in desperate financial need. But there are people with equal spiritual needs to know that you actually are in control. That you actually are worthy of worship. That their circumstances are not God, but you are God. Father, that they would learn that The way to walk in your joy is to really surrender to your power. Oh, Father God. Father God, bring an assurance. Bring an assurance of your nearness, of your your love. And Father, I do pray the blood of Jesus over this entire room. And I declare the demonic has no authority here. I declare freedom over every demon of addiction over every demon of anger, of every demon of lust, every demon pulling and tormenting, every demon of pride. But Father, I also now ask that you would uncover the voice, the satanic plan, the satanic plan that has brought false light, false comfort, and false hope brought a good plan that is contrary to God's plan. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would live a radical hope in the living God. That we would die daily to your plan and your purposes. That we would joyfully surrender what we think we know. That we may obtain a kingdom that shall never perish. Father, I pray for every fractured soul in this room that has divorced itself from its past. Father, and I pray for wholeness. I pray for wholeness. Whoa, 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 whoa. I pray for wholeness right now in the name of Jesus, that you would no longer be ashamed of the person you were, that you would be able to be like Paul and you would glorify in your weaknesses, knowing that every area of weakness is a place for God to be made strong. Father, I pray for favor over every person in this room. Whoa, 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 whoa. I pray for favor. 
favor in every struggle, favor in every trial, favor in every tribulation. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the God of light. Now pray that you would. That you would shine your light so bright. That we would be very, very, very brave in your light. To come weak, broken. failure and in victory and say here's my life Lord if you can use anything in it it's yours Father I pray for strength I pray for deliverance I pray for favor I pray for hope but most of all Father I pray that we would hope in the living God that Christ would be resurrected in and among us. That Christ would be resurrected in and among us. And we would walk in His Spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Can you stand with me? Let me bless you before we go. Did you get anything out of that? Did you get anything out of that? Hallelujah. 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 I would, I would advise you to join a life group if you are not in one yet. Um, I would advise you to be uh, just, just live life on life with some people around you, that you would be part of the community. If you're not serving, I would challenge you to join a serving team. And if you think there's an area where we need serving, you're like, Pastor, you know what you should do? That's probably the Lord telling you. you can show up early we need someone in our hospitality to help with the coffee we need all kinds of good stuff but let me bless you the lord bless you and keep you the lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his face to you and give you peace in the name of jesus and all god's people said amen 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 hug a couple people near you if you're a guest i would love to meet you in the lobby I'll be there momentarily. God bless you. Have an amazing week.